the holy name of Jesus, amen. If you're looking for good candidates for your uh, tombstone, Satan, I defy thee, death, I now decry thee. That's pretty good. Um, Jesus asks, where are we going to get food to feed all these people? Now, when I first went to pastor school, uh, preaching a sermon was probably the scariest thing in the world to me, which, you know, you think, well, maybe you shouldn't have gone to seminary then, but uh, there I was, and I'm wondering, how on earth am I going to stand up in a pulpit and talk for 15 minutes or so uh, and speak the word of God in front of people for any real length of time? How on earth am I ever going to be able to fill the 15 minutes that people expect to hear from their pastor when they come to church? And now, I kind of have to make sure that I don't go on too long. Um, I was on a radio Bible study the other week, and it's an hour long, and I was worried about how I was going to be able to fill a whole entire hour of just talking on the radio um, about, about Jesus. And uh, about halfway through, I realized that uh, I was going to need a couple more hours to get through all the things that I wanted to talk about. Um, but the, the radio station had something else scheduled uh, at the end of my hour. So there it is. What is going on here then with this word of God? <clears throat> the more that Christ engages you through his word, the more alive and the more fascinating it becomes. I know men who can tell you how every single uh, comma and brush stroke in the whole entire Bible got to be there and why it's there. I know people who have studied things that I didn't know exist in the realm of biblical studies and uh, just they get down to all these sorts of things that you wonder why does anyone need to think about this sort of thing um, and they've been doing these things for decades and still none of them are bored with it. That's the thing about the word of God is that it multiplies like very few other things in the world. The word of God is not something that you read once and you're, you're good with it and you forget about it. We've all read books that you read and then you forget about them. The Bible, the Word of God is not like that. It multiplies. And there are always new things growing from the same old text. So here we are today with a story that surely everyone knows by heart, the feeding of the 5,000. And it's hardly surprising to, to talk about it at all. And uh, my memory was off a little bit here, I think. Um, and this is why it's important for us to actually like, use the Bible rather than just go off what we think is there to rely on our own memory. This is why they wrote these things down, because our memories um, cheat and, and fail us all the time. So did you notice that it is not the disciples who first ask Jesus how they're going to feed all these people. There's thousands of people out there, and they have followed Jesus because they know what he's doing. 
And it's not the disciples' idea to feed them. They hadn't even thought that feeding thousands of people out there on the side of a mountain, they hadn't even thought that that was something that they should be doing. It is so far out of left field that they weren't even aware that they should be looking for food. Jesus is not answering their questions. He is asking new questions that they didn't even know they needed to be asking. So Jesus asked them, where are we going to get bread to feed all of these people? And he asked them this in order to test them because he knew what he was going to do. Of course, they think he's kind of foolish about this. 200 denarii, thousands and thousands of dollars, wouldn't be enough to buy bread for all these people. And after all, we're out in the middle of nowhere. Where are you going to buy the bread, Jesus? Did you think about that, Jesus? They hadn't asked the question first. A lot of people come to Jesus because they think he is a good teacher. A lot of people like what Jesus tells us. A lot of people like Christian morals. There's conservatives who want things to be like they were in the 1950s, and Jesus is kind of the way to get that done. We want things to go back to when everyone went to church and when everyone was happy. Or there's liberals who come to Jesus because they really like the social teachings of Jesus. Did you hear that in the book of Acts today? They sell all their stuff and no one has any need. Isn't that great? Well, pastor, that sounds like socialism. I don't know. People really like this idea that you just love one another and things work out then. So many people come to Jesus, cite Jesus, quote Jesus, looking for something that he is not. You came to Jesus looking for morals, but he has come to you as your Messiah. Jesus has come to you not as some great teacher, but as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, who is crucified and who is raised from the dead on the third day, never to die again, and only being the first fruits of the dead. Who will come to raise the dead and give life to a dead world that didn't even know that it could be made alive again? And what are we worried about? We're worried about who is in swimming tournaments that we didn't care about last year. We're worried about who is going to get into the Supreme Court seats, how to pay the bills, how to fix these things, how to repair broken relationships, or how to find new ones. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry. Everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. And what were you worried about? Who's setting the goals here? If we're any Christian church, who is in charge? For any Christian, who is in charge? We have been given a mission. 
to look upon the Son of God, to believe in Him, to have eternal life. And what were we worried about again? Now, sometimes I read through old minutes from church council meetings. I don't know if anyone else does this. It's kind of fun. Uh, you, sh- you should try it sometime. And you think that the recording secretary has this like minor role because they don't say very much, but they're the ones who are actually writing the church history. So in a thousand years, when the archaeologists come around and, and are doing the work to see what happened here, like, she's the one writing it. Wow. Now, there's a crazy thing about the minutes from our church council meetings. Uh, you could replace the minutes from our meetings today with ones from 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, and you'll see pretty much the same things, even some of the same names. It's remarkable. You could just submit these minutes for the next meeting, and, and no one would notice much of a difference. Numbers are down. People aren't attending church Cash is running low. We're sending letters out to the inactive members. And then, I also read sermons from Martin Luther 500 years ago, back when things were better. And do you know what he is complaining about? The numbers are down. The cash is low. We have inactive members. People just aren't coming to church. And then I read sermons from St. John Chrysostom, the Archbishop of Constantinople, back in the glory days of Christendom, 1,500 years ago or so, and in his sermons he talks about how few people are attending church, and the cash is down, and we have inactive members, we got to do something about this. And then I wonder, have we spent the last 2,000 years worrying about how much we don't have? Is that what you are here for? Is that why you are a part of this church? Is that why you are placed on this wonderful earth? When I go to all these meetings... And you know what? I hear it over and over again. We don't have enough churches. We don't have enough pastors. We don't have enough people to go around and the millennials and the Gen Zs and the boomers and every single generation. They're just not coming to church. How do we reach these people? The numbers aren't there. And then the church out there is just too small. They can't have a pastor. Who am I, anyways, against this big, bad, sinful world? What can I do? Who am I? What difference could I possibly make? I didn't have enough kids. I don't make enough money. So what? How are we going to feed all these people, Jesus asks Philip. And we have a million reasons why it can't work. I have even heard so-called Christian sermons was just explained to you 
that the feeding the 5,000 isn't really a real thing. It was just people sharing the food that they had brought along. Isn't that nice? What's the point? It didn't happen? Are you, are you kidding me? What is the point of being a Christian if you don't believe in Jesus and that he does things like this? How are you going to feed all these people? He said to test them because he knew what he was going to do. So maybe you're just a little boy with five loaves of bread and two fish. But what is that, they say? It'll never be enough. This will never work. Jesus, he's just a dead man on a cross. And what is that? The same guys who are out there who see him raise the dead, who see him heal the sick, who see him feed thousands of people with a couple loaves of bread and two fish, they hide themselves away. And then they went to inspect and anoint his dead body. And what did they find? Anything but. There he was. Alive and well. Hmm. We're not used to things like that. And so we say, what is water then? What is baptism? Can that do anything? It's too small. What is word? Can that really forgive all my sins? What is bread and wine? Can this really be the body and blood of Jesus given to me for the forgiveness of my sins? And all these things seem so small. But to us, this is life. So you, dear beloved of Christ, you are Israel. Being fed in the wilderness, he has heard your grumblings. He has come down to you. And you, beloved of Christ, you are the people seated on the side of the mountain, and there is much green grass there for you to sit on, being fed by the hand of Christ. You feast upon the bread of life. You believe in him, and you will never die. And Jesus will raise you up on the last day. And sure, you have your doubts and you have your disbeliefs. And Jesus is undeterred by them. He is not worried. How are we going to feed all these people? He knew what he was going to do. He knew how he was going to feed all of those people. And he also knows how he is going to feed you. Never think that you are too little, too lost, or too late. Because we thought that he was going to stay dead. But that was not the plan for Jesus. It's not the plan for his church or anyone in it either. Rejoice. In the name of Jesus, amen.